Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. We've just participated in the central event in the assembly life of this church. It's not the singing, it's not the preaching, it's not the prayers, it's not the wonderful conversation that takes place before and after our time starts. It is this moment when we are gathered around the table with the Lord Jesus in our midst, giving us, in a sense, a spiritual nourishment as we look backwards at what Jesus did at the cross and at the empty tomb. As we experience together as a very present reality, we are the body of Christ, the living body of Christ here on earth. But then also a future look. Whenever we gather around the table, we look in anticipation toward a grand feast that awaits us whenever our Lord returns. And it is a precious moment in the life of this church each and every week. Something we're thankful for. One of the things that I treasure whenever we gather around the table is that it's a reminder to me of what truly nourishes us in this world. And I don't know about you, but I need reminders of that. I think God has has created within us, God has hardwired human beings with this, this hunger, this restlessness, uh, this hunger to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, this hunger that desires contentment and satisfaction, this hunger, for lack of a better word, for happiness. Paul understood this hunger that is deep within, within us. Whenever he traveled to Athens on his second missionary journey, he encountered the philosophers and the learned men of Athens. And he was distressed whenever he walked into Athens. He, he came and saw many different idols. And if you travel to modern Athens, a lot of those statues are still there. And I can't imagine what that was like during the times of Paul. So he's saddened by this whenever he sees this. And yet he recognizes something so fundamental to us as human beings. This hunger we have to connect to something bigger than ourselves, to the transcendent. And that's why he says at the beginning of that sermon, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Paul recognized the hunger inside of them, that even they, they worshipped even what they didn't know, the unknown God. But in thinking about the people of Athens, we also have the opportunity this morning to think about the people of Austin and to ask ourselves, what are the people of Austin feeding themselves on? Because we know we know there's a hunger. We can just drive down Lamar and we see this hunger in, in very real ways. People chasing after things in this world, seeking meaning and purpose, opportunity. And if they're hungry, they're feeding on something. What are they feeding on? Well, as we think through that, we have the opportunity to step back and ask ourselves, what are we feeding on? There's a hunger inside of us that demands nourishment. Do we have our hunger directed in the right place for that source of nourishment? There are some wrong sources. 
There's one that is especially sinister, and it's something that was on Jesus' heart and mind there in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 here in a moment. And he speaks of this, this, this relationship that the people of God have with the treasures on earth. Now, in a few minutes, Roland is going to come up and speak to us about finances. And it is a family meeting that's very important to the life of this church. It's important to talk about money. It is important to talk about finances. Because the way we view money really is a reflection of the heart, and it's something that is on the mind of Jesus. There are healthy ways to look at finances, and then there are always the temptations that come along with money in the pursuit of of money. And so we hear the words of our Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Hear the word of God. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, when I read the words of Jesus earlier this week, I was reminded of a story that I read recently to my children. It's an ancient story. It is a story about the Greek king Midas, a king who was already the wealthiest king in the world. But he loved this idea of accumulating more wealth. In fact, that's how he spent his extra time. He would go to his vault and he would count his money. And then when he had even, even more spare time, he would make plans for how to accumulate even more gold. Even his own daughter, his only daughter, could not get his attention because he was fixated on that wealth. Well, one day the king meets a stranger. The stranger marvels at his wealth. But the stranger could tell that something was bothering the king. And this is what the stranger says. Are you not satisfied with your wealth? Satisfied, said King Midas. Of course not. I often lie awake through the, lo- through the long night, planning new ways to get more gold. I wish that everything I touched turned to gold. Nothing would make me more happy. Are you sure about that, said the stranger. Of course I'm sure, said the king. And then it happens, the stranger vanishes from sight. The king goes to his room, falls asleep, wakes up the next morning, and what happens? He touches his sheet, and it turns to gold. He grabs his pillowcase, and it turns to gold. And for that fleeting moment, his heart is filled with sheer delight. 
Well, I want to ask our children here who are listening in on this story, think about that power. What if you had the power to turn anything into gold? Would you want that power? Think about what you could buy with that power. The toys. Think about how many Legos you could buy with all of the, all of the money that you get from touching, go- touching things that turn into gold. Would you want that power? It's tempting, isn't it? It was tempting for King Midas, and for that brief moment, he really loved that power, but then he realized it wasn't all cracked up to be what he thought it was. In fact, it caused him great pain. His little daughter rushed in to the bedroom to greet him in the morning and give him a hug, and of course what happened, he touched her, hugged her, and she turned into a statue of gold. He wanted to eat his breakfast, and so he touched his cup of tea, and it turned to gold, and his little roll turned to gold. He realized that he couldn't even eat. He couldn't drink. There's a line from this particular adaptation that I read to my children that really caught my attention, and it's when he's discovering all this, all the mishaps from having this power, and he cries out to his servant, I'm hungry and I'm thirsty, and I cannot be satisfied. I'm hungry and thirsty and cannot be satisfied. I think there's something more being said there than physical hunger. There's a reason why this story has lasted through the generations, why it's been passed down through the centuries, because it speaks to something that is so universal. Because people on a cognitive level, I think up here, we know, we know that money does not buy us happiness. We know it, but our hearts are really challenged by this idea. And part of the reason is because we're just surrounded by these messages. You can't escape it. Everywhere you go, there are images that connect money and happiness, the accumulation of wealth and happiness. So you take a walk through the mall, for those that still do that. You go on a website and you see all kinds of ads. You drive down 35 and you see billboards. And what are we bombarded with? Images. Images of the good life. And so we see people who are are happy and smiling and, and having a great time. And of course it's all connected to this particular product that's being sold. A new car. Maybe the latest fashion. The latest gadget. It's what marketing is all about. I mean, we have marketers in here. Why would you ever paint a dreary picture of life and attach it to your product? It wouldn't sell one bit. But we know up here that this latest gadget is not going to buy us happiness in the long run. It is not going to fulfill. But our heart fights against this. I think there's a little King Midas in all of us that would enjoy this power, even if it were for a brief time. Everything we touch turns to gold. It would give us success, respect, friends. It would give us happiness, or so we're told. This kind of chase after what Jesus calls treasures on earth is not relegated to one particular class or group of people. It affects the rich, it affects the poor, it affects the middle class. We can all get caught up in it if we don't have our guard up, even the church. And we 
can find ourselves in this cycle of always being hungry and thirsty and never being satisfied. Well, this, of course, is on Jesus' mind there on the mountainside when he's talking to his disciples, the future leaders of the church. And he has a warning for them. Don't get caught up in it. This laying up treasures on earth. Don't get caught up in it. This endless cycle of accumulating the good life, the vision of the good life. Don't get caught up in it. You're going to always be hungry and thirsty and never satisfied. Jesus understands that the way we view our wealth and the treasures on earth is a reflection of the heart. Where your treasure is, he says, there your heart will be also. Which is why Jesus spends so much time there on this idea of pursuing treasures on earth. And he says all of that before he has that wonderful passage about do not worry. Have you noticed that? That beautiful passage that we go to to seek comfort in times of trial and stress, when he talks about the lilies of the field being clothed, and he talks about the birds of the air being fed, how God takes care of them, he's going to take care of you. Don't worry. But at the beginning of that section, there's the big therefore in verse 25, which means we need to look at what's before it. That's the foundation for what comes after. There is a connection between our chase after wealth and our anxiety, our worry. It's almost as if God makes a bargain with us. He says, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to supply you with what you need. I'm going to do it. You don't have to worry about it, but there's a catch. And this is where we need the grace of God. For our part, we need to let go. Let go of the chase. Let go of that fixation. It is a two-way street that we find in the Sermon on the Mount. But that's also where the word of grace comes in that we read about here in the, the words of Jesus, especially when we consider that hunger, that restlessness that's inside all of us, that, that hunger for happiness and satisfaction. It's here in the words of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus does indeed satiate our hunger. And especially in thinking about our theme this year, God with us. God with us. God with us has shown us the way to true fulfillment. God with us has shown us the way to find satisfaction in this life. God with us has shown us the way to find happiness, or the better word, to find true joy. And he does this by pointing and drawing the gaze of the people of God toward that which truly satisfies, really that which only can satisfy himself seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you well this morning maybe we hear these words and we're a little confused about our money and we have some questions am I supposed to make money Am I supposed to work my way up a ladder at work? 
Is it wrong to make a lot of money? What if I run into a lot of money? Well, I want to close this morning with a phrase that you may find helpful in thinking about those questions in relationship to what Jesus has said in the Sermon on the Mount. And it comes from a book called The Drama of Scripture, which I've referenced before. The story that we find in Scripture, beautifully told by these authors. But at the end of this book, they highlight a few people that they recognize who are really living out the kingdom, the mission of the kingdom of God among us. And one of the people that they highlight is a Christian businessman. And this businessman really, he has a lot in common with King Midas because it seems like everything he touches turns to gold. He's just one of those guys who knows how to make money. He's business savvy. And things just happen. Everything he, he, every endeavor that he is involved with seems to have success the way we define success. And yet his heart is as far from King Midas as we can imagine because he has a particular view of his wealth. And he looks at it through the lens of stewardship. He looks at it through the lens of Psalm 24, that the earth belongs to God and everything in it, including his wealth, including everything that has come his way. And so he takes that wealth and he invests it in the kingdom. He starts all these businesses which have kingdom based values and even to this day they flourish and it might not always be the case for this man but that would be okay but he has a phrase he has a motto about money that I think will be helpful and here it is he says make as much money as possible live on as little money as possible give as much money away as possible that's that's stewardship make as much money as possible live on as little money as possible give as much money away as possible do not Store up for yourselves treasures on earth. But store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, where thieves cannot break in, and steal it away. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We're going to sing a song of invitation now, and the invitation is for us to examine our own hearts and to take a step back and to be still and to recognize where the true ordering comes from, the God who orders, the God who provides. And maybe it's not wealth, the things that we are chasing after and storing up, and we talked about this in our Bible class this morning, the different versions of wealth might not be money, but it's something It's something that our hunger is directed toward, and it might not be the best form of nourishment. It might not be truly fulfilling. It might be the wrong source of nourishment. We have the opportunity to reflect on that. So let's pause. Let's think on such things. We have God with us who has shown us the true way to life, and that is the best news that we could possibly hear. If you'd like to respond to that good news, 
in any way, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.